Thanks for tuning in to the A Champion's Mind podcast. I'm here with the guest today, Tommy Danielson, who was a former professional cyclist, and these days he finds himself as the founder and a coach for Cinch Cycling. And so, Tommy, thanks so much for being on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mario, for, for having me. I'm, I'm totally pumped to be here. Awesome. Well, if you can, Tommy, if you can start off and just give listeners, just tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so I, in my former life, I was a professional cyclist. I raced on the world's biggest scale. I did the Tour de France. I did all the Grand Tours, raced World Tour, won a lot of really cool, exciting races, um, helped a lot of, uh, you know, big, iconic cycling people win win races. You know, I grew up in, in Connecticut. I was a uh, really small kid as a is a teenager and and wasn't really good at you know all the all the typical sports and found two wheels through motocross got into motocross and uh loved that and my parents kind of said well you know this is a little bit too dangerous let's look for something else and that's how I found mountain biking it was a you know made sense that transition and then on the mountain bike, you know, immediately did well. It was like it kind of combined my technical skills from the dirt bike to, you know, some physical gifts that I had, and and that just kind of took off. I uh, became a really successful mountain bike racer as a kid, as a you know teenager, um, and that opened a lot of doors for me. Ended up going out to college in Durango. My parents basically said, you know, you have to become a or you have to get a college degree, or at least go to college. And you know, I thought, no, nah, no, nah, I'm going to be a pro racer. I don't need, I don't need this. And and when I went to college, I lost focus on racing. Mountain biking at the time when I went to college was huge. And then while I was there, the sport kind of crumbled. All the backing and the sponsors slowly disappeared. I found myself without sponsorship, and I kind of went back to rekindle the social life that that I never had as a teenager. So I, I, I did like the college thing for for quite some time and and in the process ended up getting a double major. I got a major in business marketing and another major in psychology, two areas that I was really passionate about. And so that was awesome in, in college and, and while I was there ended up uh you know kind of realizing that if I, I was gonna have to get a real job if I didn't try in cycling, so I put it all together my last two years, won collegiate nationals twice, and then went and did some road cycling, collegiate road cycling. And when I found the road bike, that was that sort of put everything full circle for me. It was it enabled me to use my gifts of uh, you know my my genetics with my physical ability, and there wasn't really any limiter like rocks and and roots and you know slippery terrain. Or, or you know, not enough traction. You know, I could just put all my power to the to the ground, and 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 that's where it just all took off. Got my shit together pretty much, and you know, uh, and then and then just and that's where it all started for me. Uh, became a professional road cyclist, and you know, lived the dream ever since. Cool. Would you say so? It kind of sounds like it happened pretty quick, or would you say like there was a moment there where so you said you got super serious, you know, you didn't want to go do the real world job thing. So you started training and then things just kind of boom, 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 started kind of happening pretty quickly. Or did you have a moment where you actually were like kind of sitting in your living room maybe and going, man, you know what? Like, I think I might be able to like take this to the next level. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's, uh, you know, something that a lot of people <clears throat> mis- misinterpret. Um, there is absolutely no way to go from, you know, sort of status quo to, like, you know, top of the top level stuff without, you know, eating shit every single day. And, and I think that the people think that, you know, yeah, like it just happened so fast, but, you know, I have eaten a lot of shit in my life. And, and when I was in college, it was no different, right? Like I would, would get up at, you know, four o'clock in the morning go outside, you know, with double gloves on, a baklava over my face, like three jackets on, my hands and my body would be numb, and I'd ride, you know, four or five hours a day before class. You know, I, I kind of made the decision that I was going to go all in with my training about, you know, a year and a half, two years from my graduation date, and, you know, I went all in. I, I did the work. I got up. I'd move my classes so I would start class at, you know, some days at 11, some days at 2 o'clock, and then I would just go to class till, you know, 6 or 7 at night, and then I'd do my homework, go to bed at, at, at midnight, and, and get up and do it all over again. And, and you know, so people sort of think that, like, I just, whatever people think, you know, you come out of nowhere or whatever. It's like, no, like, right, like, I was a really good mountain bike racer. Um, I knew, like, the, the hard work because I was a successful junior you know, I knew the hard work that went into it, and, you know, I knew I had the talent. Those two things together enabled me to have that, that vision and that passion to get up and make those sacrifices, you know. And I, I used to have the saying, you know, at the time, you know, it, it changes, you know, the motivation, it changes throughout your life, and it changes throughout my life as well. But when I was, a, you know, a, in college and, and starting to make it as a pro, you know, my motivation was I'm never going to go back. And, and when I say I'm never going to go back, there was like a time, you know, those, those college years where, you know, I wasn't training, I was I was partying, I was, you know, whatever, focusing on my school, I was overweight, I, I wasn't very proud of myself. And I remember, you know, going out to these races, I would still race collegiate mountain bike races, I remember going out to them and, and just sucking, you know, and being dropped in last place and in it. In fact, I would, like, let the air out of my tires because I was embarrassed, like, how, you know, how far back I was. Like, people, you know, knew how good I was before college. Um, and, and there was guys like this guy, Jeremy Horgan Kabelski, who who was was winning. He, he was a pro. He, he had made it pro mountain bike while I was still in college getting my ass kicked in, in the collegiate races. And, you know... Like, I raced juniors with him on the same team on the Rock Shocks Devo team. Him and I would battle it out, and now I'm at the back of these collegiate races while he's winning these Norba Nationals. I felt like a piece of shit, and I felt like a loser. You know, my parents, they have always been very supportive, but, you know, there was definitely that those conversations that we would have, you know, in the, in the evenings, you know, and they'd be like, how's it going, Tom? I'd be like, I'm getting my ass kicked in these races. I'm not happy. And they'd be like, you know what? You know, maybe it's time to, to throw in the talent. So all those experiences, you know, like what it would feel like to drive 15 hours up to Laramie, Wyoming, to do a, a collegiate mountain bike race, and then getting my, my head kicked in, and then driving all the way back, you know, like like I felt like a, a pile of shit and, and felt like a loser. And, and so that was like my inspiration and my motivation was when I started to put it together, I said, I'm never going to go back to that. I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to let go. 
because I know what that feels like. And I would just remember that and like keep seeing that every single time. So, you know, that's a long winded answer to your question, but you know, that's how I did, right? Like people are wondering, or if people are wondering, how, how do you do that? You know, you, you find like, like who you are, you find, you know, whatever you have to grab onto and you go in that direction and you use that the, the motivation of like, where you don't want to go back to, to to keep you from giving up. Yeah, well, you drop your first nugget of wisdom here that I would like the, the audience, anybody listening to this, to focus in on. So, yeah, I mean, thank you for checking us on that. Like, hey, listen, what's one of the things that I like to throw out there? Like, there's no such thing as an overnight success. People are like, oh, man, this person came out of nowhere. No, that band's been making records for years. You know, you just don't know about them. No, that guy's been, you know, making this product for years and nobody knew about it until their moment came, right? It's the same thing with you. I mean, you were putting in the work, and one of the things that I like to tell people is, even though you're not a professional, you can still choose the mindset of a professional. And many times, the habits of a professional are also at your disposal, right? So you knew, hey, the professional thing to do is, I don't care how cold it is outside, I don't care what the weather's like. You get your clothes on. You go do four or five hours. I know that the guys that are professionals, I know that those are the kinds of things that they are doing. I have the ability to do those things. I am now going to begin doing those things. And so you're right. Like for how many years it was maybe that you did those things, and then all of a sudden you get on one of these pro teams, and everyone's like, oh, man, where'd this guy come from? And like you said, like I came from having to double up on gloves and having a, a numb body like shifting my collegiate schedule around so that I could do these things. And no, I, I didn't just get here. I've been here all along. You just didn't know who I was. But again, trusting that process and knowing that if I do this enough times, at some point this is going to bear fruit in terms of a quote-unquote result. And, you know, the result being for you, obviously, making it to the highest level in the sport. So, yeah, yeah I, I mean, that's a great point that you bring up. It's like... There's no such thing as an overnight success. It just doesn't exist. People just, they don't know that, though. They watch ESPN, and they think that somebody just got there, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think that, you know, what's important to to get the, uh, an important point to get across is that, you know, first of all, when you, you haven't done it before, right? So I've been successful as a junior mountain bike racer. I had not been successful on the road before. You have to get confidence from somewhere. And, and for me, right, my confidence came from doing ridiculous and crazy ass shit. So, like, I didn't have any sort of, you know, proof that I was going to be any good on the road. I didn't have any of that. But what I did have is, like, ridiculous ass shit that I could do, right? So I could get up at four in the morning. I could freeze my ass off. I could do crazy power on all these climbs. I could go back and I could tell people about it. And that, and that gave me this, like, sort of, you know, whatever reason to belong. And it's like, man, that dude is so crazy. You know, he is so gnarly that he's going to make it. And, and when I started making it, right, those people that were around me, like, it wasn't a surprise, right? They, they had seen me, you know, come back and crying in a bathtub while I tried to numb my body out. Those people knew, you know, the amount of pain and, and suffering, and I hate to use the word suffering, the amount of pain that I'd gone through to achieve this, you know, state of whatever, ridiculousness, to give myself enough confidence to stand up to those guys 
in the races. I, I think that's an important thing is that, like, when you don't have those results, you don't have the proof, which is, you know, later on in my career as I realized that that sort of disappears all the time regardless of how well you've done in the past. But, you know, it's, it's important that you have to have something to stand on securely when you go to these events or you go to these challenges. You don't have that. You have no footing. You have nothing to stand on. You know, you're, you're looking to pull the rabbit out of the hat at the race. You're not going to do it, right? You don't actually believe in yourself. And the second big part uh, uh, that I want people to understand is, is that passion. You've got to have that passion within. You have to come back, right, and, and willing to come back in tears, knowing that you gave it everything. And, and it, it's a mixture of, you know, being proud of yourself, and then it's an, it's all also a mixture of feeling what it felt like to be a failure before, right? And, 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 you know, riding that line of passion where you're running away from that horrible feeling of failure before, and then you're in, and you're almost in tears and happiness of what you are accomplishing. And if you're able to find that, that happy medium and ride on that, you know, fine line, gleaming cube of that, you know, that sort of concept, you know, that is where you have the right amount of passion to be able to get the job done. So you got to have that confidence and you got to have that passion. Those are two key things for those of you that are out there that are interested in breaking through. If you don't have those two things, you're not going to break through, right? Talent is just not enough and hard work is just not enough. Yeah, well stated, you know, and you're absolutely right. And most of this stuff is going to happen away from the public eye. I mean, most of the stuff that you had maybe your close circle that was watching you and knew that you were doing these things, but many people didn't know that you were doing these things, which adds another different little element to it. I was a high school teacher, and I was kind of around the coaching circles in high school, and, you know, what I would tell kids was, hey, like when, when your coach leaves the field, which means you're no longer being supervised, or when he goes to go do something and the weight room is devoid of any authority to tell you to keep lifting or go to your next station or whatever, are you still doing those things that you know that are going to contribute to your success? And that's what separates, you know, somebody that's successful from somebody that's just average would be in those moments when you really know you should do the thing, but nobody's really watching you to make sure that you do the thing. Like, that's where successful people say, no, I'm, I'm going to do the thing, whatever that thing is, because like you said, you're right, I'm, I'm passionate about it, like this is part of me, and emotionally I'm invested in it. But then on the, on the other side of it, like, doing those things that we know where people are stopping short, so like, you know, practices from 4 to 5 o'clock, and you know, most athletes show up, 4 to 5 o'clock I'm there, I'm practicing, I do what coach asks me to do. Once that last whistle blows at 5 o'clock, like 99.9% .9 of my teammates and everybody else that's practicing at that time, they go home. I'm now that 0.1% that chooses to stay and work on my skills. Like how much confidence does that provide you, you know? I mean, you're telling me that you're doing crazy stuff, but it's like you're doing these things and pushing yourself to a limit, to a level that, man, nobody else is doing. Like, you're just, and then you show up to a race and you're thinking to yourself, like, how many of these guys have actually done the kinds of things that I've done? Uh, how about nobody? I mean, you talk about having confidence at that point, right? Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so let's jump into the professional now. So you're, you're a professional at this point. What kind of pressure comes along with being a professional cyclist? 
Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good question, and and I, I suppose you know it changes uh, for different people and in different parts of their professional career. But if you asked me that question, you know, whatever three, four, or five years ago, I probably would have given you a different answer to now. But my answer three or four or five years ago was you have the pressure to perform, right? Like you you are you have a job and you're asked to do it, and that is the only thing on, on your mind. You live in this weird world, in this weird ecosystem that, you know, like the world revolves around you, and you truly believe that, you know, you will change or affect the world with your, your performance. And it sounds insane, but when you're in that professional world, you just don't see – or you choose not to see the rest of the world in, in sort of reality. So you you have this initial pressure that comes from, you know, within the sport to perform. You have another part of the pressure that, that you feel from the media and, and, you know, from the social media. And then you have this this pressure, you know, that you sort of create from yourself, which is, you know, the demon of expectation where, you know, you start to create these expectations of where you think you should finish. So the, the pressure really becomes this threefold monster. You really become obsessed with it. You know, there's really not a better word, not, not a better term for it than that, but, you know, you truly believe that those three things are, are on your back from when you get up in the morning to when you go to bed. And, you know, I personally made a lot of mistakes dealing with that pressure. You know, I had a lot of anxiety issues. I think, you know, for whatever reason, whether I was prone to it or not, you know, I, it was a big part of my life, anxiety. You know, I have irritable bowel syndrome, so I would have these insane stomach aches um, so bad I'd be doubled over on the floor sweating in a pool of my sweat, just shaking and so much pain. I developed a panic disorder that I would have these panic attacks that I would think I was dying of a heart attack. I've been to three emergency rooms that I thought I needed to go to because I thought I was dying. I laid in a, a puddle of piss in Las Vegas one time because I had such a crazy panic attack that I ran into a, a stall in the, in the bathroom to hide from the sponsors that I was having dinner with and uh, laid down on the floor because I, I thought I was going to die. I didn't want anyone to see me die. I had some serious – another one, a good one, is I became afraid of grocery stores when I, w I lived in this small town of Alps, Spain, for a little while. Lived there by myself for the majority of it. And I developed this – you know, that panic disorder, uh, anxiety stuff just got out of hand. And I became – I had a panic attack in the grocery store, and I became afraid to go in the grocery store. And when I got back to the U.S., I couldn't go in grocery stores. I mean, this is serious shit that I dealt with. You know, while I was racing and while I was like winning races, right? Like I thought this was part of it, right? And and it's not. And and now, like I'm on the outside, right, as a coach and, and helping people and and you know looking at the the world from like sort of a big business standpoint, from a re like a really big family perspective. I see how silly it is, right? Like I see that you know like professional sports is really cool, right? Like it's the best guys in the world doing their thing. But at the end of the day, right? Like it's marketing. It's it, it's it's all it is. It's it's absolutely 100% marketing. And we just overglorify this version of marketing and you know, it really is just people that are out there in this 
you know, man-made forum for entertainment. And that entertainment exists and, and continues to exist because businesses invest money to get in front of potential and current consumers. So, you know, like most people can't see that, right? They, they, they think that we are, you know, you are changing the world. Like whether Tommy D fucking flies up some climb or not, right? Like people are excited about that or not excited about that, but they don't care, right? Like they look at that and they're like, wow, that's really cool what, he get, what he's doing, but they don't care, right? They go home to their families, they hang out, they ride their bikes up the hill. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like I think the best, the, the biggest turning point for me where I, where I understood where I could have the biggest impact in the sport was after, you know, I had lost my career. I am trying to revive my, or I'm trying to create my business. I'm doing cycling camps in Tucson, and I still believe that I'm going to go back and race, right? I'm really angry. I'm training hard. I feel like the whole world is just, it's just going to resolve itself. I'm out there training like a motherfucker, and I'm out there with my camp, and we do this time trial the last day, and I was flying, right? Like, I was in the, probably the best condition of my life. And we're doing, you know, we do this last time trial. It's for the, the campers to execute the skills that they learned during the camp. So they do this 15-minute uh, time trial up this climb, bottom part of Mount Lemon. And I have them all, they, they, they go off like 30-second intervals so they can kind of chase each other. And I go last. And I just obliterated, right? Like, I mean, there was, like, smoke coming out underneath my wheels. Like, my, you know, <laughs> my chain was almost snapping. Like, you know, I was, like, moving cactuses out of the way when I went through the turns. Like, I was going so fast, right? But I, when I passed each person, I cheered for them. I said, good job. Keep going. Congratulations. You're almost there. Whatever, right? I got to the top of the climb. I averaged something ridiculous like, I don't know, 450 watts or something like this for 10 minutes, like one of my best ever I'd ever done. And, you know, immediately throw my bike into the bushes, run down the hill, and I cheer. I run next to each one of the campers, and I cheer for them. And when we get to the end, everybody talks about, like, how inspired they were that I was out there and they were so excited to use the skills that I taught them. And, you know, it was a really special moment to have me running alongside them with my cycling shoes. And, you know, that night, right, like my Strava file was posted. I did some ridiculous shit. And not one person even cared that I did 450 watts and set some ridiculous personal best you know, let alone, like, some kind of whatever record at the bottom of Mount Lemon. No one cared. All they wanted to do was sit on the couch with me and talk about the growth that they had that week in the camp. And for me, that was, like, the turning point where I realized, like, you know, if I go back to the sport and I go kick everyone's ass and put my middle finger up in the air and say, hey, this was wrong, this, what, what happened to me was not was not just, right, it, 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 was, it was wrong, like, that's not going to do anything for anyone, right? But, like, if I take all the skills and the inspiration and the things that I've learned and I give them back to the people that I'm passionate about, right? Like, I have a passion for this stuff. I have a passion for te- teaching and spending time with people more than I even have racing my bike. So I realized that if I spend and give that back, like, I can actually change some people's lives, whether it's eight, whether it's three, whether it's a hundred, whether it's a thousand, whether it's a million Right? Like, I can do a lot with this, but me going up fast up a climb does nothing for anyone. So it was really for me at that, at that point where, that I realized and I looked at the sport different and I said, wait a second, like, 
the sport's cool, right? It gives us great things. It's great experiences. It, it, it's a it's a great opportunity for a lot of people. But at the end of the day, right, it's marketing. And, you know, that marketing, it, it's a business. And, you know, we don't need to over-glorify it. We have to respect it, understand, you know, why we're there, what comes out of it. And at the end of the day, right, like, we're there to inspire people. We're there to promote cycling. And I think that was probably the greatest lesson I learned about the business of cycling. And, yeah, and those are my two perspectives on pressure coming from pro cycling. Yeah, I think that's neat. On a, you know, on the same level, like, dig a little bit deeper and say, what's the role of sport, you know, in, in terms of, like, society and in, and in general? And I would say, you know, hey, People want to go watch it. It's entertainment, but then they want to go watch. But let's face it, like, we're all, we're all selfish, right? Like, whose performance is most important? Mine. You know, like me. It's, it's about me, right? Um, so I, I go and I watch sport, and I watch a sporting event, but then I go home, and if it's cycling, like, I watch somebody else ride a bicycle, and then I go home and I go, huh, I wonder, you know, can I get better? Can can I get faster? Can I can I do some of this power? Can I do some of this training? Can I go do this cool climb that, you know, this guy's going to do or this gal's going to do, right? So we, we immediately take the athlete, professional, amateur, whatever, and we immediately begin to think to ourselves, like, man, cool, am I capable of doing that? So immediately the focus goes from whatever athlete it is to ourselves, and we essentially kind of use that athlete to be able to say, oh, cool, like, that guy or that girl, you know, they just inspired me. So on a, on, a, on a kind of a grassroots level, and I see it here locally with me sometimes, you know, I mean, I'll go ride with anybody. I don't care. I love it. I love the conversation. I'm like you. I'm like, hey, man, come on. Let me go cheer you on. Let me show you some skills. Like, let's do these kinds of things. And, you know, it, it's really neat to watch as they get excited about bridging that gap. Not that I'm special, not that you're special, but we're in a place where maybe they would want to go or at least get closer to, and that's the value of sport, is to inspire the individual, the spectator, the person who's sitting there, to inspire them to actually, like, break through their limits, to actually be the best version of themselves. And, you know, kind of, I agree with you. What I see, I watch a lot of professional cycling, but what I see is, and in professional sports in general, is that, there's a chasm there that I don't feel can be bridged by natural means. And we'll talk about that in a second. So it's like now you have a sport and you're watching an athlete, but you're sitting there going, dude, there's, I can't touch and feel that guy. Like there's no way, right? Like me here at home, you know? And so I think that sport has, yeah, I feel like the the innocence of what sport was intended to do is no longer there because, you know, some things are at play there that we'll talk about in a second. But as you were sharing that, I wanted to ask you a question because kind of piggybacking off of the last one asking you about pressure because, you know, many people would say pressure is internal, right? Like Like pressure is something that you put on yourself. Like you're the one that allows you know, the team and the director and your teammates and, and like these people to, you know, kind of come into your world and your circle and your being and give you that pressure. Like, what would you say to that? Because it sounds like the pre it sounds like the, the, the cloud surrounding professionals like like that pressure to perform and to get a result is is very real and tangible. So what would you say to that? Like 
is it not so internal and more external or what? Yeah, I mean, it can come from external sources and, you know, how you deal with it then it makes it internal. So, you know, if it's if it's coming from, and it's going to come from external sources, it comes, you know, we have pressure in our lives from every different direction, even, you know, like, you know, my, my seven-year-old son puts pressure on me to, to take him out and, and ride the dirt bike after school, right? Like, they're, they're, you're always going to have demands and you're, you're always going to have pressure, you know, and sometimes, you know, I'm so stressed out from stuff I'm working on, you know, riding the dirt bike after school, that's a lot for me, right? It's like, whoa, man. I, you know, I've got this stuff and, and I've got to make time for that. And that, and that really, you know, that, that'll put, put stress on me. That's internal that you can argue came external, but right. We all need to develop these mechanisms internally to, to cope and deal with them. So, you know, to answer your question specifically, you know, I think at the end of the day, it is internal and, you know, it's, there's, there's stuff always coming externally. Now, to give you an example, you know, when you're in, you, you know, you're a professional racer, you know, we talked about the demon of expectations, but the teams have expectations for you, right? They're paying you a lot of money and, you know, they have expectations from their sponsors to get results. You know, there's this big, you know, kind of stressful uh, relationship that you have with your team. Um, it's all fun and games at training camp, everyone's best friends. You know, you meet everyone in the wintertime, everyone's lovey-dovey, great, everything, everyone's happy, no stress, no stress, go to the first training camp or second training camp, no stress, everything's okay, go to the first race, no stress, in the hotel, first stage goes by, no stress, right, and then it's go time and if something happens, big stress, right, because something didn't work out along someone's expectations. So I think one of the reasons that it becomes so traumatic is that, you know, the team, they feel like they don't necessarily have control over the rider's performances. And it's true, right? Like, you know, you hire a guy for a result, right? You hire a GC guy, right? You, you look, you do your research. He's got these results in the past. There's a good probability that he'll get those results, but he's a human being, right? He, he can have, he make, he can make mistakes. He can have bad days. He can get sick. He can give up. He can have mental problems. He can have a divorce at home. Whatever the problems are, you, you can't control those. So I think that the team management, you know, they often get in these like really stressed out, you know, patterns where they feel like they're losing control. And a lot of times they deal with losing control with, with sort of anger and, and sort of threatening messages and, you know, there, there's a million different ways to, to deal with it, but I think a lot of times when they're trying to gain control, they end up making it worse and adding more pressure, and, and, and that, comes, that comes externally. Yeah, man. I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. If I were to ask you a hypothetical question, let's take you back to when you were riding your best, and let's make this an environment where your sponsors – and your directors and your team and your teammates make it a known fact that we're not going to judge anybody by when you cross the line and what place you get, but here's all we're asking for. All we're asking for is that you do the preparation that you deem necessary to be your best, and then every single time that you line up and you wear our jersey that you give 100% and that when you're done, if we were to ask you, could you do anything more your answer is going to be no. And if we took you back and that was the culture that you were surrounded by when you were racing, 
do you feel that you would have performed better? Not having that like on your shoulders that you've got to you you've got to get this or else, right? You're gonna get that message from that director. If it was just a hey man, you did a great job out there. I saw that you gave your best, obviously you collapsed after the finish line, like we couldn't have asked you to do anything else, you know. That was all you had, and we clearly saw that. So we just want to tell you that we're proud of you for that effort, even though the result wasn't, you know, something that you would write home about. I mean, do you feel like you would have performed better in that kind of an environment? Yes, of course. But but here now you're going to get, you know, kind of the the rant of Tom that's going to come, you know, out on this one. And this is kind of like business 101 or whatever that I'm learning is that like professional sports is a little bit fucked up to begin with, right? Because you're basically, you have businesses, right? What, you know, these pro cycling teams and pro teams are essentially businesses, right? They have, uh, they pay salaries, they, they have expenses, right? Sometimes they even try to make money, right? These, these are businesses. But guess what? They don't sell shit, right? So these businesses are essentially, like, they don't have a product, they don't have a service, right? They're basically trying. They're they're basically like a marketing or advertising agency, and says, hey, you know, whatever. I'm not going to use any brands for an example, but hey, whatever X brand X. Like, if you give us 15 million, we're going to get your brand all over the TV sets and all this stuff. So they're basically like out there, sort of like trying to win these accounts. And 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 I don't know if you if you paid attention into the business world very much, but like advertising agencies. That is like one of the most fucked up and most stressful environments ever. And why why is that? Well, simply because they're constantly trying to win accounts and they're constantly trying to keep these these people happy, right? Over a lot of things that just aren't tangible, right? Like a lot of times they can't measure the impact that they've had in the, the marketing, the sales and all these things. They can't they, they, they really can't right? they really can't measure the, the strength of a campaign. So they have to give these people whatever, like meetings and, you know, wine and dine them and try to keep these relationships alive and happy to keep these sponsors. Well, well this, professional sports is very much the same, right, especially cycling. These teams basically go out and beg these businesses to advertise with them. So, like, if you're out there begging – Right? Like, you're going to have to use some good tactics to get these $15 million, $20 million, $25 million sponsors, right? Like, just saying, hey, my athletes go out here and they give everything is not going to get some guy to drop $25 million, right? He's going to say, he's going to talk to his whatever guy and this other guy, and he's going to say, hey, like, this team's got this guy. Like, I think our brand can go with, you know, our brand is a winning brand or our brand is a, a fighting brand. And, so we want to, you know, back this team because this they have these riders. And if those riders aren't performing and they're not living up to the brand's expectations, guess what, right? Like, the team's fucked again. So, like, I totally agree with, you know, that is the right mindset to, as a director, and I think as a, as a manager and as a team manager, you've got to have that, and we talked about processes, and, and this will sort of go into where I where I. I fall with my business and why I created some certain things, but you need to make a fucking strategy and a, and a process that works with your athletes because if you're able to produce that, right, whether it's mojo, whether it's team bonding, whether it's specific training camps, whether it's 
fantastic equipment, whether it's great bonuses and incentives. You have to have some sort of strategic process that you have in place that has worked multiple proven times, right? And then you take that process of developing racers, keeping racers happy, and creating an environment in which they feel comfortable to perform in, you sell that to sponsors. Unfortunately, teams don't do that, right? A lot of these people that own these teams, they don't know shit about business, right? They were in cycling, and then the team was there forever, and that, you know, Right, and, it, and what you're seeing now is you're seeing a lot more of the teams go away because no one's really got something to sell to these sponsors, right? Simply podiums and results really isn't good enough anymore. It, it, it's got to be more. It's got to be, again, it's got to come back to that process. It's got to come back to cool strategy. It's got to come back to cool training camps, great, uh, you know, inside, behind-the-ride stuff. There has to be so, so much substance. So I totally agree with you that, that you know, a better way of communicating as a director is, is key to keeping that, you know, that pressure down and keeping the, the riders performing better. Um, but in order to pull that off, in for we talked about confidence, in order for the team management and the directors to have confidence, they have to have a proven process and a proven strategy that works with not just the racers they have, but racers that they're going to bring in racers that are broken, right? They have to have all these processes. And unfortunately, there's only a few teams that have that. And as you can see, those teams just keep winning. Yeah. I like what you said. I had never thought about it. And it was this. It was the fact that if somebody shows up and drops $15 million, I mean, what are they even getting out of it? You know, I know that Jonathan Vodders likes to do his research and talk about the economic impact of having team sponsorship and how much, you know, exposure you're going to get. But you're absolutely right. There, There is no way to measure that, absolutely no way to measure that. So in terms of a metric, it's it's not there and it's not reliable. And then, yeah, the only thing that a director would have as a selling point would be, hey, you know, we'll provide you exposure because we'll get the, uh, you know, the TV attack, you know, where, like, the guy's on, you know, the guy gets in the early breakaway, so he's going to be on television for four and a half hours. I mean, he's on he's on there more than the guy that gets 15th place in the bunch sprint because he's been on TV, and the guy that got 15th, you didn't even see until the last 200 meters. Yeah. So that definitely is at play there. For me, I would say, and and we're going to segue into to the dark side here, because for me, this is what I would say. I would say, hey, director, hey, sponsor, hey, you know, person looking for marketing exposure, hey, guys, listen, you know, these athletes, essentially, I mean, let's call them what they are. They're actors. They're entertainers. They're here for our benefit. Like, we are... We are benefiting from their service, which in this case we're talking about cycling. You know, so they're going up these mountains, and who's getting the benefit from that? We are. But listen, if you want the exposure, if you want the podiums to come in in droves, if you want these kinds of things to start happening so that ultimately your product gets more glamorized and more notoriety, then the way for that to happen is for y'all to just chill out and let those guys be comfortable and let those guys be relaxed and let's make them as stress-free as possible. And you've got to trust that if you take your hands away from around their necks, you know, where they're feeling like you're choking their air, if you just let them chill out for a little bit, 
you're going to begin to see a return on your investment because relaxed people that don't feel the pressure and the stress perform better than those people that are just feeling like they're being choked. I mean, I can't help but go to your story and say, I don't see how a guy that is like stomach churning, lying in his own urine in Las Vegas, like, how is this guy supposed to go up mountains fast again? Like, it's a miracle that you did. I'm like, dude, like, how how are you expecting a guy like this to perform again when you've caused the stress and the pressure that you've got him under to actually, like, impact his health, which is, like, the one thing he needs to have at a really high level to be able to pedal his bike fast? It seems counterintuitive, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we, you can go, you know, down that road for sure. And, and, again, you know, it comes back to the process, right? And and it comes back to, you know, if you have a team and, and you have a business, right, you have to have a strategy and you have to have a process. And a lot of these teams don't have that. So, you know, taking a relaxed approach just isn't realistic for these people because they're stressed out. They're micromanaging every rider, at the wrong moment, right? All winter, no one gives a shit, right? No one cares. Yeah. That's the time you need to be helping these guys. And when they show up at the most, the first important race in May and they don't perform, then you're, you know, you're walking behind them. You're trying to figure out what's wrong. You're spending all this money on blood tests trying to figure out, oh, my gosh, do you have a, are you run down? Are you tired? How's your ferritin? Like, there's got to be something wrong with you. Oh, the bike doesn't fit. Oh, blah, 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 right? Like, that's the fucking bullshit these guys do, you know? And, and the problem was in November. The problem was in December. The problem was January. The problem was in February. No fucking process, right? So when stuff happens... No one knows what to, no one knows where it came from. They don't know how to fix it. They don't, and, and that's why you'll see again, like I mentioned, the same teams suck, right? And the, the really good teams, they keep staying really good because they have that proven process that they put those guys through. Now, back to my anxiety stuff, you know, I'm not blaming that at all on other people. You know, that is definitely 100% me, you know, like, I, I internalize a lot of stuff that, you know, I didn't need to internalize, but, you know, I didn't know at the time, you know, it, you know, this is part of the education process, it's part of living, you know, you and I talked before, you know, would I go back and do it all over again, or what, you know, what would I redo my life, fuck no, like, I'd keep it exactly the same, and, and you know, my experiences with anxiety you know, have taught me a lot about the importance of the why, right? And, and you know, why are you doing it? And I think that with me, I didn't ever ask myself that question. And I basically listened to other people. I didn't ask myself that question when I was leaving college, right? I was running away from feeling like a failure. Does that really inspire me and drive me? Fuck no, right? But I was running away. Like, I didn't want to feel like a loser where Jeremy Horgan Kabelski was out winning uh, Norba Nationals and I and I was letting the air out of my tires in the, you know, the freaking shitty whatever mountain bike in Wyoming. So, you, you know, like that was my was my incentive, but that wasn't a, that wasn't a solid why, right? Because I'm chasing something that I don't internally believe in and that's what started to cause those conflicts for me. When I started winning on the national scene, right? Immediately, I was signed because of, they saw my skills, right? I was signed to the World Tour. I was immediately signed to Faso Bordalo, straight from Saturn, U.S., right into Faso Bordalo. 
when I got there, you know, I had, like, the godfather of cycling, Giancarlo Ferretti. He was my director. I, had a, I was on the super team, right? I was on a team with Pizzotto and Cancellara and, and, and Pataki and Frigo and Frank Vanderbrook. I don't know if you remember half these guys, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that team was Ator Gonzalez. He had won the Vuelta. Like, that team was, like, the, the, the biggest freaking hit squad, number one team in the world. Here I am on that. I show up with a suitcase of dreams, and not one of them is my why the fuck am I there, right? So I'm just staring at all these people trying to figure out what they're doing, and, and well, that's my why, right? Get my ass kicked around a little bit in Europe. My director tells me I'm not good enough, yada, 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 right? Like, And then that becomes like whatever, you know, that's now my incentive is to show people again. I'm in that same situation where it's like I can survive here, but I'm not listening to my myself. I'm not listening to, to what, why am I here? Why am I riding bikes? Why am I trying to race at the world's highest level? Like, what, what does that mean to me? You know, you know, and then, and then when I became successful on discovery channel, you know, I, I won the tour of Georgia. Lance Armstrong helped me in that. He, he announced his retirement, you know, like these things that happened, right. It was like, I was in the right place at the right time. Now everyone is saying, wow, you're the next Lance, you're going to win the tour, right? what, you're going to do this, and, and so what do I do? Well, I, I like, I look, and I, and I say, like, okay, well, what does, like, a guy like that do? Like, what is the mindset that those guys have, you know? And, and you know, like, like Lance, for example, like, he was really fueled off of, you know, a lot of anger, a lot of intensity. He got the job done, you know, because of his mindset, incredible, incredible mindset, but, you know, he... Like, he did it one way with his, his mind. I personally, like, I don't do well angry. I don't do well aggressive. Like, I, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not, not the wired that way. So, you know, I tried to, like, come off sort of whatever, arrogant in the races. I tried to act badass. Like, I tried to act angry and give people looks and say stuff. And, you know, like, I tried to find, you know, I kept thinking, I was like, well, I've got to find my, like, champion in me you know i gotta be like these these champions you know and i and i just you know honestly like i had and and this is the truth like i probably have like you know incredible talent but inside i didn't want it i didn't want to be the best in the world like i, I wanted to be good i wanted to be good enough to inspire people i wanted to be around people I wanted people to respect me. I wanted, you know what I wanted the most? Is I wanted people to listen to me. Like, I wanted, you know, like how now I'm telling you this story. Like, I wanted people to listen to my stories because they're like, wow, you're, you're credible because you're fast on your bike. You know, so like my whys were different than I thought. And, and that caused me all these problems because I was like forcing myself, what the fuck's wrong with you, Tom? Like, you need to be like killing everyone. You know, like you need to be like, you know, pictures of whoever on the wall and, and throw darts on them and, you know, and, and, like, I had this battle with Floyd Landis on Brasstown Ball one year, and he was, like, screaming at me and telling me I was, like, he was going to eat me for breakfast and chew my head off. And, you know, and it was, like, like that freaked me out. You know what I mean? It, but I couldn't let anyone know that, you know. But I, but in my back of my mind, I was, like, hey, dude, you got it. You know what I mean? Like, you got it. Like, you, you, I don't want, really want to get my head, like, chewed and spit off. Like, I, I'm not that kind of killer. You know what I mean? Like, I'm good enough to be here because I'm really talented. But my why just isn't that. You know, I ended up beating him, but, you know, I had to turn myself inside out to do that. And then in the end, like, I kind of felt bad. You know, I was like, man, that dude totally played me, you know, in the mind games out there. Like, that 
I deserve to win. So, you know, like, those, me just not addressing my why caused so many problems for me. So, you know, I think that that is the reason, you know, it, it took me so long to find myself on the bike, and I had to fall down so many fucking times, you know, mentally and physically, and I made some horrible decisions simply because my why was not in line with, or I, my, what I was doing in my mindset was not in line with my why. I was trying to become someone I, I wasn't, and it ended up hurting me. It hurt me really bad. Yeah. Man, there's a lot there. That's awesome stuff, you know. I mean, having that why is absolutely, you know, that's, that is what's going to drive our emotions. That's what's going to drive our thoughts. That's what's going to drive our actions. That's going to drive what we say. So the fact that you were borrowing this from somebody else it wasn't really Tommy Danielson's. It was Lance Armstrong's. It was Floyd Landis's. It was, um, you know, the mountain bike racer back in the day that was pro that you wanted to make sure that you can, uh, you know, stand up to. I mean, you were borrowing other people's why, so you had the inner struggle of, man, I don't really feel like myself. Like, this isn't me, right? But, hey, we've talked about it a little bit. You're on the pro team. The director wants this, right? The sponsors want this. Like, you're in this whole, like, whirlwind of... Man, I'm expected to perform, and man, I don't know what my why is, but man, when, when, you know, Floyd Landis says he's gonna eat somebody for breakfast, like, man, he, he, he rides well, right? Like, man, when Lance is angry, he rides well, so let me do these things, right? Like, let me give this guy the stare and, you know, let him know that I mean business, you know? And let me tell you, on a very personal note, I can resonate with that with you, because, man, sometimes I would feel bad. I'm sitting there on the starting line asking my competitors, hey man, how's your family? Hey, how you doing, man? Like, Things good. I heard, you know, I heard you guys had a kid or, hey, you know, this or that. And, like, sometimes they wouldn't want to talk and I'd even feel bad. I'm like, Mario, you're at a bike race, dude. Snap out of it. Like, get pissed off. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, you're about to have to go crush somebody, you know? And I was like, but that ain't me. You know, that, that's just not me. That's just not how I feel comfortable, you know? So I, I can totally resonate with that. But sticking on this point and going into some of the mistakes that you made, this whole cycle of needing to be somebody else, of needing to perform or else you get that text message from, you know, the director. You know, you had a past where you dabbled in some unethical practices with some with performance enhancing drugs. Do you feel that this was a part of why those decisions were made in those moments that obviously you regret now? But do you feel like this was the catalyst that got that kind of thing going in you? Yeah, I, you know, like I want to be clear that I'm like not making any excuses, you know, for my mistakes of my past. And I also want to make clear that I don't regret my mistakes either. I think that they happened. They enabled me to have some incredible perspectives and experiences on life on on both sides which which enable me to see things from many different levels and also enable me to share a lot of like quality uh information on on all different levels so i i think i think that's important that you know that i make that clear you know i, I made bad decisions but i needed i needed to make those bad decisions to be to be where i am and and so I, I don't necessarily, you know, as bad as it, it's made my life because of it, you know, it's it's a bed that I made that I've laid in and, and it's made me a better person. So, 
but but yes, I mean, you know, not understanding, you, you know, why the why am I a pro bike racer and what I'm, you know, if I simply if I simply asked myself that question and, and, and answered it, right, would have been much more relaxed with my progression, much more relaxed with with my stance, and, and honestly, like, you know, the the thing that bothered me the most about you know, performance-enhancing drugs was, you know, it's like this fake sense of confidence. And we talk about confidence again. And, and I would say that, you know, not understanding my why led me to feel insecure. And, you know, I felt like those things gave me this false sense of confidence. And what I hated the most about it was that, you know, you start to associate, like, being able to perform well with that, which is like, a, you're like double fucking yourself, right? Because you're kind of in that situation to begin with because you're insecure about your ability. And then, you know, now all of a sudden you're like, you're insecure about your health and then you're insecure about your ability, like all the other days out of the year. So I, I think that the, like that was, was for me what I hated the most about it was that it just made me feel, like, less of a person than, than I was. And now, like, looking back at it, like, I feel like a complete idiot because it was like, like, had I just asked myself, what do you want to do with pro cycling? The answer would be like, you know what? Like, I want to get out there. I want to go fast up hills. I want to help my team. I want to experience this life. Like, I want to see, you know, what it feels like to, to ride these famous climbs, and I don't really give a shit if I win or I don't win, right? Like, I, I really don't, you know? And for those of you that are around me or have been around me that are listening, I think it would be quite clear, like, how big of a struggle I had, like, getting in that mindset to win. You know, I know that, you know, Courtney, my fiancé here, you know, like, for me to win Utah, you know, we had to, like, you know, get this, like, mindset that was, like, like, correlating the training, the feelings of training and the, the satisfaction that I got from doing certain numbers and certain actions and training and then like replicate those on the climb. Like that's how fucking I, I want, I get motivated to win because I love doing, I love doing cool power numbers. I love that, right? Like that's what I love to do. And, you know, had I known that, right, and, and when I made the shitty decisions, like, I already could do those power numbers. That's why the fuck I was on those teams to begin with. And if there was guys in front of me, like, I didn't give a shit, right? Like, all I wanted to do was make a strategy and accomplish it, right? Feel good about myself. And then talk about it. I wanted to go home and talk about it. I wanted to tell people what it was like to race with Lance Armstrong. I wanted to tell people what it was like to pull for him on this climb. Like, I love that shit. You know what I mean? Like, I absolutely love telling stories. I absolutely love inspiring people with, 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 like, numbers and telling them, like, what it was like and all this stuff. So, you know, I mean, I know that's a roundabout answer to your, to your question, but, you, but, but, yeah, like, those, those were shitty decisions that were based off being insecure, uneducated, and, and not listening to myself. And, but when you're yourself, right, you don't have this, right? You don't have me telling you this shit, right? Like, you have to live that, right? And the great thing about everything that's happened to me is it because I can tell you and I can tell the other person, I can tell everyone the story. And I'm not, like, hanging out by my coattails with a trophy in my room, you know what I mean, that I'm, like, I wax every night and I'm, like, that's my fucking trophy and I'm so proud of this trophy. No, right? Like, all my trophies, I don't give a shit, right? Like, 
this story, this education, these concepts, these feelings, this intensity, this mindset that I can share with people, that's worth to me more than any fucking trophy, more than any podium finish, more than any newspaper article or anything like that, right? So, you know what I mean? Like, I had to live all that bullshit to get to this point, but at the end of the day, listen to yourself. Listen to your why, right? And I'm pretty sure your why is not to beat people, right? Like, because that's not enough, right? This is not enough to go train. It's not enough to freeze your hands off in Durango, Colorado at 4 a.m., right? Like, no one's, no one's angry enough just to beat people. You've got to have some, some uh, stronger why than that. But ask yourself that why. And a lot of times, that will help guide you to the absolute best, smartest, safest, healthiest decisions. And I wish there was someone that, that was there like this to, to share that with me, but... That's my, my new role. That's, that's what I'm going to do is, is share that, that story with as many people as I can. Yeah. I promised I would do this because this is, man, from the heart, from me to, uh, to you. And, you know, if you're listening to this, you have to understand what it would take for somebody to talk about this, this part that a lot of people would just kind of want to tuck away in a corner and not talk about. And if you don't believe his heart for helping people, then why is he even on this podcast to share this information, which is really awesome. You know, I, you know, so many folks out there, and if you're listening to this, you know, they, they, they want to demonize, you know. And by the way, I'm going to plug uh, Phil Guymon's episode with Tommy. It was a great interview. So I would, you know, recommend you go get that one and listen to that one. But we're not going to talk about it here at length, but in that in that interview, Tommy talks about some of the hateful things that were being sent to him and people around him when all this went down and he got, you know, caught for using performance enhancing drugs and stuff like that. And, and I'm just like, whoa, 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 we're I mean, we're so out of control with the fact that somebody can hate somebody so much for that you know and uh and so man i i just i'm thankful that you're on here to talk about this stuff and that you're comfortable like you said you know i mean you posted something on facebook the other day like you know if somebody said that you know if you can go back and do do this all over again and it's like no you you wouldn't like no why you know i mean i'm here now i've got my like my your why right now is stronger than it's ever been so if it took all of that stuff to get you here, which obviously it did because that's the way stuff happened for a reason, then why would we want to take it back? Why would we want to go another path? But an interesting question that I have for you is this because, you know, okay, so let's let's transplant you back to, you know, that moment when you first went and, and did something unethical, right, with the drugs. If your why would have been what it is now about going up climbs, pulling for Lance, like the pureness of, hey, this is who Tommy D is. I understand myself, and this is what I want out of this sport, and it's not doing this the wrong way. Would your career have been shorter given the fact that now you may not get the results that the sponsors are looking for, so the director's sending you the nasty messages, and, hey, when your contract is up, we're going to find somebody who, you know, is outperforming you, and they may be outperforming you unethically, but, hey, that's the way this game goes. Like you said, it's a business, and the bottom line is money. I mean, would it have played – do you think it would have played out that way? That's a really good question. It actually makes me think, and 
I really can't give like a perfect answer to it because I, they, you know, I don't really know all, you know, like looking back at the past, right? Like it's, it's really hard to, you know, even like, when you think back races that you did, like a lot of times they seem easy, you know, you're like, Oh yeah, it was Mount Evans is a good example, right? Like I, I would do Mount Evans quite often. And every year I'd be like, man, that's, that's a good time. I can't wait to do Mount Evans. And then I'd get out there and I'd be like, this race sucks, right? Like, you know, like I'd have like be cross-eyed, couldn't feel my arms and, you know, metallic blood taste in my lungs, you know, and you finish it and you'd almost keel over and you're wondering if, they're going to life flight you off the top of Mount Evans. And, and, and you know, and then the, the, the next day over, you know, people are like, how was it? Oh, it's fucking awesome. So, you know, I don't really, I don't really have like a perfect answer to that, but you know, there, there is, there is like, you know, what I feel in my heart and you know, what I feel in my heart is I think that my best asset to, to pro cycling really wasn't my results, but it was more my, you know, my personality and, and sort of my, my writing style. So I think that, um, you know, I don't think that I necessarily lit the world on fire during those years. I think that there was people that did a lot better performances than I did. You know, I didn't win any grand tours. I did, you know, I won a grand tour stage, but you know, I'd say that that I did a pretty shitty job with the talent that I had and then, of course, the stuff that I was doing. I'd give myself two thumbs down for actually the, the performances that I did with the opportunities that I was given. And, and, and that was, again, because of my mental problems, and, and uh, that sold me short. So would I have had those, those problems if this? I don't know. I don't know. But I do think that... I am a good bike rider, and I do think that I am good with people. I do think that I represent sponsors well. And I do think that I have a cool riding style. I don't mean to sound cocky or anything, but, you know, you're asking me a question. So, you know, I think that those those things, I think they would have kept me kept me going and, and you know, probably maybe would have got my ass kicked a little bit longer. But uh, I don't I, – I think I probably would have maybe had a longer career, actually, because – well, for a number of reasons. One, you know, when the when I was asked to testify, I wouldn't have had anything to testify about, and and then I wouldn't have had that problem, and then and then uh, you know, and, and I would have I, I would have had more years to to gain and grow and and grow into the sport. So it's kind of a shitty answer to your question. I don't I don't really know. I, I guess that the, the most the most logical one is, is to say, like, you know, maybe I would have got my ass kicked during those years, but in my heart, I believe that that I am a good bike rider, and and I believe that I'm good with people and good with sponsors, and I think that would have would have kept me in the in the game. Well, yeah. So I asked a question. I'll let the cat out of the bag now. I mean, I I asked the question, but I didn't necessarily know that there was an answer to it either. I mean, it's just something interesting for us to kick around. And the reason why I wanted to throw it out there and just let us wrestle with it a little bit or let you wrestle with it a little bit is because, like, I don't know the answer either. But being a mindset coach and having this be what I do and what I read about and what I've studied and working with people, I mean, here's here's my theory on it. Here's my take. Not that you asked for it, but I'm going to give it to you anyways is – I feel like a, a a free Tom Danielson that would have been able to be himself would have outperformed the Tom Danielson that was like, you know, in a cage having to force the issue 
because he was doing things that were against who he really was. I mean, that that's just that's just me shooting from the hip. I mean, when we fake it, man, when we're faking something, it's just it doesn't look good. I mean, you you can't fake for long. I mean, people smell authenticity you know, from a mile away, and when you're walking around trying to be this person that you're not, it is going to affect your performance, you know, it, there, there's no way that it can't, because it doesn't feel natural, so, you know, that, that's just, that's my take on it, but then I, I would say that, you know, if you're in the era that you were in when this stuff was seemingly so prevalent from stuff that I've read and heard and stuff, it's like, you have this very real, again, pressure coming from the outside saying, hey, listen, like, we need you to make sure that you're, like, there at the end to make sure that you can take this dude where he needs to go. And if you're not really, like, sure about whether you can get there or not, like, hey, we've got something that can help you maybe get there, right? And so all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, like, are they saying that I'm not any good? Like, you're going back to your days where it's like, dude, I feel, like, out of shape and I'm getting my butt kicked. Like, nah, man, I don't want to go back there. Like, no way. I mean, okay, what do, you know, what do I got to do? Because, I mean, this is what I've known. This is my life. And if I don't do these things well, like, they may find somebody else to do this. And then you get all these thoughts and all these demons going through and just bouncing around. And it's like, I guess the mental anguish that comes along with, with this whole game when you get into this game just seems to me to be something really heavy. Again, I don't have any experience with it, but what I've read and just from what I know about like the psychology and stuff of it, I'm just going, man, that just seems really heavy on a person. Oh, and then we want you to get on a bike and we want to make sure that you know you can do this wattage to get up this climb and make sure you're successful too, by the way. like We don't want you coming in last. It's like, whoa. Oh my gosh, I'm only, like you said earlier, like, I'm only a human being. Like, I may make mistakes, I may be sick, I may, you know, I don't know. I mean, you're not giving me any grace here, right? And uh, it just becomes something really hard to deal with. Yes, you know, I think on that issue, just just so everyone, you know, is clear on, you know, my stance is, is again, live the life that, that I did. I don't, you know, I'm not making any excuses for the decisions that, that I made and, and, you know, I think that, like you said, had I not made those decisions, then, you know, maybe life would have been different, good or bad. But I'm proud of who I've become today because of the poor decisions that I've made and the consequences that I've had to survive because of them. And surviving those consequences forced me to develop strategies and processes and a mindset and a view on life that I wouldn't have had, you know, had I done everything right. So, you know, I'm very thankful for, you know, my mistakes and I'm very thankful for, you know, the positive things that I've done since and, and I'm thankful for, you know, the opportunities that I've created afterwards. And, you know, to end this subject, you know, I do want to say that for all of those people that are listening out there, I'd say that the, the number one reason to not make poor decisions is you, right? It's all about you. And, you know, it's simple to say, yeah, it's un- unethical and it's, it's bad. But I think it, it's just not enough. It, it, it's, it really is about you. And we talk about confidence. We talk about passion. We talk about the why. That stuff has nothing to do with those three things. And, 
your confidence and your passion and your why, be willing to bet none of it goes down that road, right? And don't make those decisions. Don't suck those things out of yourself. Don't give in to, you know, bullshit insecurity, right? Because it's not going to last, right? You're going to pay that bill eventually, and, you know, it'll just set you back, right? It'll it'll put you in a shitty situation mentally, physically, emotionally. You know, the, the best decision is listen to what's right for you and what's right for your why, why you're out there, and what you're passionate about, and look at your attributes that make you confident. And and if you do those, look in those three directions, then you'll always make the right decision. I love it. I can't. That's it. We're gonna we're gonna wrap up that part of the podcast interview because I think you just boom, you nailed it out of the park, man. That's that's perfect. Tommy, I got a couple more questions for you, and then I'm gonna let you go. I know your time is important. Are there like is there any sponsors? Are there any folks that you'd like to acknowledge and chat about here? You know, I. I that's a good question. You know, I, I was always on that sort of sponsorship side of the world for a lot of my life. And, and now I've, you know, created my own business. And, and uh, you know, when everything happened to me, you know, everyone sort of turned their back and ran on me. All my lifelong sponsors and, you know, a lot of friends, you know, basically was afraid. They were They were afraid to be associated with me because of how people would see them. So I guess I kind of have a sick feeling about sponsorship, and I'm I'm starting to get sort of back into it. But I think that uh, the way I view sponsorship now is is it's about my it's about my brand and and what it represents. And and when I speak to companies and I I look at potential partnerships, I prioritize how it will affect my clients within my business. So you know I, I don't really want to come out and say a whole bunch of sponsors and stuff like that right now because, again, for me, it's a really sensitive subject. But, you know, I'm very thankful for for my friends and my my family and and my my fiancé, you know, Courtney, who, you know, has stood by me through all of this. and, And, you know, a lot of you guys don't really know, or most of you don't know what happened to me, but, you know, when I lost my career, I, I had just come out of a, a really bad, ugly divorce where I had to, I had to use all my resources to fight for my children. And, you know, that was when I was first dating Courtney. And she was, much like me, shit on by uh, the social media. During my divorce, there were certain people that, that spread rumors and said really nasty things about myself and about Courtney and and about, you know, I had abandoned my children and all this stuff. And, and, and she stayed with me despite that the, these people were harassing us nonstop on the, on the Internet, which was, which was really special. And then when I had my positive test, you know, it seemed like our life was hopeless. We had no money because we had spent whatever I had on my children getting to, to get my children. And, uh, and she stayed with me, and it looked like there was no hope, and we, we put $80,000 on the credit cards to pay for the testing of the supplements, To and this is very, very expensive, to find the cause and, and put myself in a situation 
option to be able to move forward. She stood by that. We had nothing. And we slowly created this business since. And she was really my inspiration that, you know, she said, Tom, you know, get up. Go back out there. You didn't do this. You're not this person. Do what you love. And I, and I love cycling. I wasn't ready to be done with cycling. Even though people in cycling were telling me to kill myself and I was horrible and every sponsor abandoned me, I didn't do this, right? I wasn't this guy. I wasn't this piece of shit, cheating slime bag, right? Like, you know, like this was a mistake and I wanted my life. I wanted to be riding my bike and I wanted to be riding my bike helping people. So she encouraged me to do it. We made a brand. I couldn't use my name because my name was, was shit. So we created this brand called Cinch, which Cinch means simple. And the concept is taking all my uh, years of experience simplifying it and giving it to people, teaching them cycling and coaching them. She encouraged me to go back out, get on my bike, go out to people, and and her and I, with no money, went out and basically told people at events and on bike rides and had business cards and just, hey, I'm Tom. I am a coach now, and I'd like to help you with your cycling. And, And you know, she was a person that that believed in me, and she was a person that, that believed that everyone would see the real truth, right? Like, even though the Internet said something different, that, you know, people seeing me in person, you know, they would accept me, and they, they would know, you know, the real truth. And, and so that's what the fuck we did is we, we just marched back out there. We made out our little business cards. We put little tents at events. And we said, hey, we're cinch. Like, we'd love to help you with your cycling. And and this was this was like a year, year and a half ago or two years ago. And, you know, our business exploded, right? Like, people loved it. People felt the the authentic side of me. That people felt the the passion. They listened to what we could do for them. It was business 101 for me, and, and, and you know, she ins- she inspired it, and, and she was the believer. And we slowly paid off our debt. We slowly, you know, got back on our feet. You know, we kept our house. We didn't have to give away our house. And and, uh, and here we are today with a, a beautiful business and a great family. We've got our children. We we have an amazing life, and, and, and I'd like to thank you know, Courtney for surviving it with me and, and pushing me to, to become the person that I've become. And today, dude, that is a great ending to the episode. But before we end, you know, there was something that you said earlier about the fact that during the winter, right? Directors don't care, you know, uh, they're just kind of, everyone's off doing their own thing. Then you get to the first race and, you know, the guy didn't perform, and you're wondering if he's all right, and then you're doing the blood test, and you're doing all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to tie that into what you just said with your business and cinch and the fact that it's very successful. But what are you doing there? You're doing this thing, and it's very simple. It's a lot of work, and it's hard to do, but it always pays off. You're cultivating relationships with people. You're investing in people's lives you're letting them know that you care, you're giving your time and your sweat equity to helping them to be better people. And let me tell you something, that's successful like 11 times out of 10, right? 
So, man, I mean, there's no magic to what you guys are doing. I think you guys are just, you're taking on, and I've listened to a couple of the podcasts, by the way. I'll let you share, you know, where they can find, where people can find those. But, you know, if you guys go and listen to some of these podcasts, I'm going to tell you there's a common trend in these podcasts, and it's this. Like, they, they're listening to you, you know. They want to know what you're going through. They want to know how they can serve you, right? And, man, who doesn't, we talked about the fact that people are selfish. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want somebody to sit down and say, hey, man, how could I help you? How could I serve you? How could I get you to be faster on this bicycle, right? Like, how can I assist you in that? Part of the reason why Cinch has been so successful. So I'm a fan, dude. I mean, I, I looked you up, and, and I've looked at some of your stuff and everything. So so I'm, I'm impressed with it, and I wish you all the best. But in closing here, tell people where they can find some more information on what it is that you're doing now and, and some of the different places maybe on social media and the Internet where you guys are at. Yeah, so... The business that, that uh, we've created is, is called Cinch Coaching or Cinch Cycling, and, and like I said, the concept is simplifying uh, everything that I've learned in my life, 15 years at the uh, world's highest level of cycling and working with the best coaches and trainers and, and psychologists and, and all kinds of great people. And the program is a very, very cool concept. It, I call it the four-pillar form uh, system, and basically what that is about is there's four things that go into the coaching that we do. Um, it's the focus, so that's the mindset, like we've talked about, the why, the perspective, the hunger, with the gratitude, all the all the key uh, mental components that I believe uh, go into not only being a, a successful athlete but also successful in life and business. So I, a big part of my program is tying in the cycling to the life. My, my target market and demographic is not, not professional athletes, right? My target is, is people with jobs that are strapped for time, that still want to explore that athletic side of themselves, want to learn about a sport, and then want to use that to transform their lives and help them perform better in their family and then also in their business. Uh, the second pillar is fitness, and that's what we're all very familiar with, but I have a unique take to fitness. We talked about there was a lot of uh, ifs, I guess, when I would race, a lot of things that, you know, people would say go out and perform well, but we really didn't know exactly how to execute that. So for me, part of my fitness or my training program is all about these 10 performance zones. Um, I call it the, the cinch powertrain, and essentially teaching people these zones, which are actual things that you do in cycling. So just like a Formula One car or a race car, you have different gears and you learn how to use them for different scenarios. I create these very strong and powerful gears, I guess you could say, or zones for the human body, but then I teach people what to do with them, right? And that's very, very important, coming up with strategies, understanding what type of fueling to use. You know, this is this is key. Um, so, so not, you know, pulling the rabbit out of the hat on race day, knowing your performance zones, knowing your powertrain, and going out there with a, a game plan that you execute and you feel good about yourself. The third pillar is nutrition. 
So we talked about the zones and just basically learning, you know, some key concepts on how to build a nutrition program around your training. So we call it functional nutrition and just really educating people, you know, sort of the timing to eat the foods, the macros, what you need to be having and the, the amounts that you need to be having, you know, what to do, how to plan. Planning is a big part of nutrition that no one even pays attention to. So we basically take years of experience working with great nutritionists, working with phenomenal chefs, and we have a super sick, solid program for nutrition. The final component of our four-pillar process is execution, and this is enormous. And you probably read some of my rants on online about it, but really teaching people what the fuck to do with, you know, power, right? Like, no one – everyone talks about power and tr- training, but, guys, you got to know what to do with it. So, you know, teaching people about that, that it's all about – cycling is about momentum. So – you know, I've created these really cool equations, really cool ways to measure execution using some cool software with today's plan. Um, so we actually have these execution drills all built into the workouts and then ways for me to go through and analyze and then communicate back with people, you know, on their control, on how their shifting was, how their accelerations were using torque, all kinds of cool measurements um, we're putting into the, the execution part. And then the, the really exciting thing that we're doing with, with our pro coaching program is building a scoring system around it so people can actually measure their progress like a sport. So my objective through all of this is to give people an awesome experience, help them grow, help them get a lot better, but then, which is a challenge with most athletes, is finding out a way to actually actually measure progression, measure progress. Um, so outside of power alone, we've created a really cool scoring system to be able to quantify people's progress over time. So that in a nutshell is, is my program. You know, we're growing quickly, so it's super, super exciting. And, and I hope to become, you know, obviously change the game in, in coaching for cycling but I'd also like to change the sport, change the game in the sport of cycling and, and bring this sort of black belt of cycling, this Tour de France level education, execution, you know, uh, application concept to normal people that maybe only have an hour three times a week to ride, you know, are balancing family, are balancing their job. But, right, they have the will, they have the passion, right, they have all this, the why, they have all these things in line. They're developing the confidence like we talked about earlier. Why not? Like, let's become great in your own perspective, right? And, and that's what my business is all about. So thank you a lot, uh, very much for the opportunity to, to speak on your, on your podcast. I'm very grateful uh, for your time. Tommy, thank you so much for t- taking time out of your busy schedule to do this for us. And, yeah, man. Awesome. Cool. Thanks a lot, Mario. All right. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the A Champion's Mind podcast. I hope that you enjoyed this interview with Tom Danielson, just a rider, an athlete who's been at the highest level of sport and is now basically taking kind of a grassroots approach and working with normal folks and instilling what he learned up in the pro ranks and trickling that down to those of us, myself included, that would be called amateurs or maybe even less than amateurs. But... One of the things that I just really want you to grasp about this interview is the fact that even though he was a professional, there were some things that he was doing incorrectly on the mindset front that he's now come to the realization about 
years later that if he can go back would have maybe allowed him to perform at an even higher level than he was already performing at. And he was at the highest level of sport. All that to say that if you look at an athlete who is stronger, faster, you think has more ability and more talent, don't for a second think that they're immune to some of the battles they've got to fight on the mindset front as well. And dealing with anxiety and dealing with confidence issues and dealing with self-image and all of those things. We're all running the same race on that front, maybe just at different levels. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. But once again, I just, I hope that this was good for you guys. I hope you guys got something out of it. Just some great stories and some great experiences that he was able to share. And so, yeah, thanks uh, for tuning in. If you want to get more of this kind of content in terms of the podcast, the Champions of My Podcast, go ahead and jump on iTunes and search for it. And you can get past episodes that I've put out there, different interviews and different, I've done a couple of series at this point, and I've got some standalone episodes where I just talk about a relevant topic in terms of mindset principle or what have you go on there. And you know, if you want to take that a step further, go ahead and subscribe to that. In addition, I've got a Facebook page and a YouTube channel, both by the same name, utmost performance. And last, I've got the website, utmostperformance.info, where you can find all of this information and even more in case you want to contact me and you want to get started on and you're thinking about, hey, you know what? There are some things that I'd like to talk to Mario about that I can work on on this mindset front to get myself better tuned in with my body to allow my body to perform at a higher level. Once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Until next time.